Hello everyone in Koshambi. Um, these are the voice notes for the month of February 2021, where we are discussing art and culture and its uh, relation to reality and how as students of reality or like we call ourselves socialists, how do we uh, think about art and how it relates to society? So uh, this is your convener and joining me is uh, Akshat. Akshat is uh, an admin. Akshat is also the head of the art caucus. Uh, Akshat, why don't you uh, introduce uh, the people to the three works which are which we are going to be discussing? OK, uh, so the, the three works in question are The Necessity of Art by Ernst Fischer, The Work of Art in the Age of Mechanical Reproduction, by uh, Walter Benjamin and uh, one portion of Mark Fisher's book entitled uh, Ghosts of My Life. The portion is called uh, The Slow Cancellation of the Future. However, in the interest of time, we're only going to be focusing on the first uh, of the three works in this episode of the podcast, which is Ernst Fisher's The Necessity of Art. We will put up a document on the notice board in which you can post all of your questions, everything that you'd like to be addressed in the meeting, and we will get to that. And after the meeting is done, we will recap whatever we have discussed in the meeting regarding the other two books, in case you haven't read them yet, which I do recommend you do. Anyway, let's go get on with this one. All right. So uh, uh, we will uh, go through... Uh, these works uh, one by one. Uh, so let's start with uh, The Necessity of Art by Ernst Fischer. And for that matter, let's uh, talk a bit about who Ernst Fischer was and why should you read this book. So, uh, so Ernst Fischer was an Austrian communist. Uh, he was a journalist, he was a writer, and he was for a long time also a communist politician. Initially, as many were, uh, uh, he uh, was a social democrat, uh, because at that time all, all Marxists belonged to various social democratic parties. Uh, he belonged to the Social Democratic Party of Austria. And then he became a member of the Communist Party of Austria when uh, you know, the uh, second international stuff happened. And uh, there was a civil war in Austria uh, in which uh, Austria became a fascist country, at which point Ernst Fischer had to uh, flee. And he went to Czechoslovakia and he began to work for the Comintern as an editor. And then he went to Moscow. But around that time in Moscow, uh, the Stalin purges had started and anybody who was not considered sufficiently loyal to the uh, 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 Russian regime, most of these people were communists, um, uh, but uh, they were looked at with suspicion, especially foreigners who were for communists from other countries. They were looked at with suspicions. Uh, if uh, people would remember uh, one of the, the foundational uh, Indian communists also was caught up and killed in these purges. Uh, 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 
Virendranath Chattopadhyay, whom we talked about in the History Caucus. So many people were getting caught and killed for no apparent reason. And uh, Fisher realized that a lot of these people were foreigners and um, uh, he's a foreigner and he's an Austrian. Uh, he might be looked at with suspicion. So he escaped from Russia in time uh, because another Austrian communist had been arrested and tortured. And that gave Fisher the idea to run away. And he uh, got help from uh, uh, Georgi Dimitrov, who was one of the Comintern leaders. Uh, after the war, uh, after the death of Stalin, uh, Fischer became an important figure in the communist movement, especially in Austria. He was a member of the KPO, the Austrian Communist uh, Party. Uh, he was also for some times an active politician. Uh, but what he's remembered most about is his work on art. Uh, Fischer was opposed to the commonplace uh, Marxist uh, idea that, you know, old art is all decadent. Fischer was also opposed to the sort of dogmatic uh, understanding of socialist realism and uh, sort of, uh, you know, the rule-bound uh, art it was creating. And most importantly, Fischer was of the opinion that the art uh, especially uh, the art, but also like the larger superstructure, the cultural life is something that the socialist should care about. And it's something that has a strong and material impact on society. And, and in saying this, Fisher was taking a line which was different from uh, uh, mainstream uh, communists of his era. And more like the line which, uh, say, Gramsci had, whom we discussed last month. So he wrote a bunch of things, but he wrote this book, The Necessity of Art. And it's a very, uh, like, a very holistic book because it, because it captures or attempts to capture a large arc of uh, Fisher's thought about art. It also tries to historicize art. It tries to create a social theory of art and it's very ambitious in the in that scope it also portrays art as something which has always been intimately connected with labor with society it uh, with uh, uh, with the with with people and what they do and and hence it is uh, uh, it is a book which uh, which at least tries to reflect what Fisher thought about art, that uh, art, um, when we talk about art in the service of society or art in the service of socialism, we are not talking of state propaganda, we are talking of something else. So, uh, uh, Fisher's book you all have a copy, but we'll, we are trying to find a better copy because a newer copy of that book, it has an introduction written by John Berger, who you have also read in a different context. So let's actually uh, go through this book. I'm not going to go through, like it's a 200 page book, but it's very easy to read and you all should read it. So I'm not going to like go into it page by page and line by line, but I will give you more or less the structure of the book and Fisher's arguments 
The first chapter is called The Function of Art and it tries to historicize what has been historically the function of art. And it starts from the very uh, primitive for form of art where art was not much different from magic and um, art was a part of uh, various cultures which lived in the like the Paleolithic and the Bronze Era wherein art had a ceremonial purpose. And Fisher says that uh, the, the reason why art exists never really stays the same. The function of art in any class society reflects that class society and uh, even within that class society, the function of art may start to differ from its uh, original function. One good part about this book is that Fisher is constantly giving references to works of other people, what other people have said about the same topic. So, for example, in this chapter, he talks about what Brett talks about art and the class struggle and uh, what art means in the when you know we have civilization and when we have a class society he talks about what Marx and Engels said about art art so like for example Marx and Engels uh, them you know uh, when they were looking at ancient societies they were for example looking at Greece but by Fisher's time a lot of archaeological and historical research has happened. So he's talking about how, you know, even like the Greek art, for example, was a consequence of like millennia of art forms which came from like uh, Egypt and other older places um, uh, like Egyptian or Mycenaean works and how by the time Greek art matured, it had become uh, very differently conditioned by its time. The argument Fisher is making is that art fundamentally has a complex relationship with the community which forms it. It's not just a product of that community, it's also a reflection of that community and it has a, uh, it has a useful interplay with that community and in order to completely understand community, you, you need to understand art in, in order to look at community how it is all right so now let's go on to chapter two uh, chapter two is called the origins of art and in this chapter fisher is trying to not just historicize art but also like look at look at it very dialectically look at it in connection with um, nature which uh, forms it he talks about how Marx understood human tool usage, that it's not that humans are unique that they use tools, it's that humans have a certain degree of complex intentionality when they use tools. They are able to form plans in their head and then try to change the world to fit those plans. And uh, Fisher expands on this with art. Fisher says that art somewhere on the other is another tool in an attempt to change the world because Initially, when humans discovered tool usage and they realized that uh, you can, uh, you know, change the world uh, with it, then various things started to uh, come, which were attempts by humans to fashion the world in the way they wanted to fashion it, including, you know, ritual, repetition, and then language. Uh, Fisher talks a lot about language. He touches upon theories of 
various people of his time. Remember, the book is a bit dated, so uh, a lot of things are not covered in it. So Fisher is talking about, for example, Alexander von Humboldt's theories of language. He even gives like a sort of a Sapir-Whorf uh, sort of a thing without mentioning Sapir-Whorf because Sapir-Whorf uh, hypothesis would come much later and would uh, get uh, criticized and demolished much later either. But uh, Fisher holds on to the point that a large, like, why do humans make impressions of other things? Why, why do we make things which are alike other things? Like, why exactly? Uh, and then he says that the reason humans do it is because they have, for all their existence, tried to uh, change real, change material reality. And 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 initially, when they did not understand causality, um, and and for a for a, a large part, we still don't really understand causality in all its complexity. But there was an attempt at you know trying to make things happen by copying them, trying to make things ha happen by enact them. He gives this example of uh, um, certain uh, community or culture somewhere where uh, when a, a witch doctor puts a spell on somebody, they enact out that death throes of that person. That's a very interesting example. And he gives a lot of these examples of how what used to be called magic eventually separated into science, religion, and art, uh, uh, the uh, various forms of it. And then he goes into art and class society. He talks about how art developed from primitive societies to feudal societies. And the next chapter is then capitalism happened. And, and Fisher talks a lot about how art has served both in times of revolution and in times of social decay like when art was like he says that art flourished the most when it was it had patronage of uh, uh, people who were both the dominant class and also the dominant class was having a revolutionary role so when feudalism was going down and capit uh, and you know the bourgeois democratic revolutions were happening enlightenment was happening the artists who were part of the enlightenment project they were funded with a lot of money and they were also like free thinkers and they had the capacity to think about these complex social issues but when capitalism matured and the contradictions of capitalism started to arise um, when it became obvious that you know the dreams of democracy liberalism etc they were not that simple that reality the capitalist reality was much more complex and there was a lot of hypocrisy in that reality that that freedom was ultimately a freedom of the market at that point art also had to react art realized that things were all not nice that renaissance enlightenment sort of art was over and new schools of art came because they had to react to the hurt they had when the positivism uh, of the renaissance era when the enlightenment of the renaissance era failed and then fisher talks about so one of the best things about this book is that if you completely do not know anything about art or its history this book will give you a crash course in like a bunch of things which happened historically so it talks about how romanticism was like the first response to the 
alienation brought upon by capitalism that there were people and he calls romanticists he calls it the very like he says just like the classes have the petty bourgeois the artists have the romanticists like these people who realize that uh, the nature of capitalism was all kinds of bad but their response to that was oh okay let's go back to the past when things were good and he says that okay not all romanticists were like that you know there were some romanticists who realized that like being reactionaries is not a good thing but he says there were other romanticists like the german romanticists who were absolutely reactionary and to whom the answer to the problems of capitalist society laid in some uh, ro- romantic past and he says that certain other german romantics identified this tendency and called it out and um, he uses this uh, line here he says where he uh, talks about some artist calling all these other german artists a bunch of liars who want to like uh, recreate all that was horrible in uh, in the feudal age or something and he says that you know well later fascism happened so perhaps you know we should have been careful at that time and uh, he says that it it happens differently so for example in russia where society was uh, struggling under oppression uh, under a quasi medieval society where no kind of capitalism had even come romanticism was a very positive movement but in germany which had seen the uh, you know which was not a completely capitalist society like france was but which was also sufficiently uh, aware of the problems of modern society so he basically says germany was that society as far as the art was concerned where we didn't even have the time to experiment around with modernity we just jumped straight to like cynicism and like looking at the bad aspects of capitalism so like it just just jumped straight from like love for the old stuff to this neo romanticism where people were like oh you know all this is horrible we need to go back to the past and then he talks about like okay so romanticism didn't really work out then it took this uh, turn towards folk art and how folk art uh, was a thing within within capitalism then he talks about uh, art for art sake a movement which happened in france Uh, which uh, which uh, so on one hand you had realism as a reaction against um, uh, romanticism and also you had within realism a movement called art for the sake of art which was like we will eschew all sentimentalism and we will try to just do art and he talks about a lot of of revolutionary artists of that time he talks about courbet who was an artist who took part in the paris commune uh, revolution we have talked about the paris commune right and how the realists uh, inspired the impressionists who um, uh, really wanted to do away with you know the sort of dogmatic uh, neo classicist uh, uh, you know just copy pasting whatever the old work had done without even trying to portray society or without even trying to think about anything um, and 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 you know even at this point we have just covered like uh, one half of this book because this is a very good book it covers so much then it then it goes into naturalism and how that had an effect in uh, capitalist society and then it starts to talk about very interesting things 
it talks about kafka about how the contradictions which were there in capitalist society they were like he says that in the old times like in feudal society you had schools of art which were supportive of the class system and you had schools of art which are opposing the class system and he says and in capitalist society there has been not even a single school of art which has been above mediocrity which has not resisted capitalism in some sense even the romanticists resisted capitalism even they hated like what they call the cult of money and things like that and he says that every other school which came after romanticists has resisted capitalism in some sense of course all of them were appropriated by capitalism all of them themselves became product and many of them were aware when they were being product so one of the best things about this book is how nuanced and generous the author is with all these other artists who are none of them are socialists and none of them are communists and yet he like does justice to their schools and he tries to like really uh, talk about where these artists and where these schools are coming for, from and why they were important why it was important that you engage with people whom uh, you were uh, you you might not agree with or whoever re- who were reactionary or even who were not reactionary but who were looking at the problem not as a whole but in part right one of the most interesting things come at this point where he starts to talk about alienation what becomes common at this point with kafka with nietzsche with all these people is alienation that uh, this ever growing realization that our attempts at critiquing the problem is not letting us get through we are going in circles round and round in it and this this led to this nihilistic movement this movement blind to social dialectics where you recognize that capitalism is outworn but you don't recognize it as capitalism right fisher is talking about how after a lot of alienation what is seen in the art world is nihilism and uh, nihilism is this expression of decadence it is this blind to social dialectics period where like the nihilist would say that okay the capitalist bourgeois world is wretched i say so without mercy and i carry my opinion to its most extreme consequence there is no limit to this barbarity and whoever believes there is something in this world worth living for or worthy of mankind is a fool or a swindler all human beings are stupid and wicked the oppressed as much as the oppressors those who fight for freedom as much as the tyrants to say this needs courage and and fisher says sure to say it needs courage but the problem is that and he says that you know this is something much more radical than anything the communist manifesto has said but uh but the ruling class will not have any objection to this radicalism because this doesn't threaten them this giving up on this giving up on trying to build a better world and he says that there is a reason why the working class is not you know the shining pure example of the thing you can make art on because it is 
completely corrupted by imperialistic influences it is a part of the capitalist world it has a spiritual attitude learned from the capitalist system and yet there is you know a reason for fighting this dehumanization and and hence uh, for trying to make things and he he says something um, very interesting he says it is far easier to notice only the horrible and inhuman only the ravished foreground of the age and to condemn it than to penetrate into the very essence of what is about to be the more so as the decay is more colorful more striking more immediately fascinating than the laborious construction of a new world and one last word nihilism carries no obligation so obviously he is opposing that and he is saying that to be an artist is to have some kind of obligation this is something fisher consistently says that even like these attempts of art to free itself to be this critical space to critic reality he is against that he he very much uh, is of the opinion that there is an obligation though of course art cannot create a new world but and and the whole book is trying to articulate what that obligation is and why art is necessary so after this it goes into how after nihilism there are other things which may happen to art he talks a lot about what is meant by mystification the attempt of art to get out of society and then he talks about another attempt at realism about how like just like there was in the past uh, the attempt by french realists etc he talks about what realism is and he says that it's a word which has been used to very contradictory very different kinds of realisms right like that that, that you can't just say realism and like uh, compare the work of balzac with stendhalt or any other anti romanticist like he talks about a lot of different kinds of work he even talks about uh, the social democrats he even goes back and then he talks about the liberals he talks about Alexis de Tocqueville, who we discussed in the History Caucus, uh, and uh, he he even talks about Lucian of Samosata, who was uh, we have discussed Lucian in the circle before. He was a Greek author, an ancient Greek author who tried to be a realist. He he tried to write a satire of the epics which were being written at that time, and uh, he he tried to. Uh, write a satire which were uh, which had like space travel in it. So it was the first attempt at writing a novel which was fiction set in space. So that's very interesting. So basically, uh, Fisher ends this section by combining the various kind of critical realism, where he says critical is the attitude of criticizing whatever class society it is in, and realism is a method of reality. And then he tries to distinguish. critical realism from socialist realism this is very interesting because you don't get a lot of like descriptions of socialist realism which are either like not uh, you know this american understanding of it as a movement which was essentially a state funded propaganda movement or you know this soviet understanding of it which is uh, extremely uh, you know uh, almost dogmatic and here uh, fisher is saying something very interesting fisher is saying that even by like the 1960s uh, the 
thing inside like socialist realism had actually started to grow and had actually become a legitimate artistic movement like for example he says that he gives this argument between like a young soviet artist uh, ilya fradkin who uh, completely tries to demolish like dogmatic understanding of socialist realism and he says the job of socialist realism is to portray society as it is and thus if it becomes dogmatic it is completely worthless right uh, and he says that even like uh, you know decadence and all of those things which socialist uh, socialist realists are opposed to all of those also deserve study because those are also the part of the reality of the decades in which they came out like uh, why is like you know why are all these liberal schools of art why why are we like uh, uh, not studying them properly and in response to that uh, there is a so this was for, like this was written by some soviet theoretician ilya fradkin and in response to that some guy who was a bureaucrat from the german democratic republic also like writes a rebuttal to that which is like you know this is all nonsense and uh, uh, you know maxim gorky has already like uh, completely eviscerated western decadence blah 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 uh, it's basically an angry reply to the previous article and by illustrating these two uh fisher is saying that this was going on so it's not like socialist realism was some kind of dogmatic monolith within the communist east rather there were like a bunch of uh, people who were sincerely engaging with it and arguing against each other and they were trying to create something i mean sure it was hard to create and franz kafka is an example of that that franz kafka realizes that even if you try to be realist um you can't really be objective like you can't like capture the complexity of society as it is so of course there are problems but, uh, but it is possible to have the viewpoint of an undogmatic marxist and to try to get a glimmer of reality so he says that you know what because everybody is like call, like everybody when they use like this socialist realism phrase um they mean that sort of like that propaganda art thing so he says why not let's just call it socialist art and socialist art has been a thing it's not like he says that if socialist realism were some kind of dogma or some kind of method then whose method is it gorky's method or brecht's method or mayakovsky's method or or makarenko's method or elwards method or okc's method or whose and he says of course not like uh that kind of thinking isn't like that kind of thinking which places socialist realism as against critical realism and places it as some kind of singular method which the communist east invented that is itself a ridiculous vulgarization of what socialist realism was trying to be i'm not going to go into the next few chapters because like it it almost seems at this point that i'm reading out the book for you but i will mention some very interesting points in that book the next chapter goes into content and form and it's a very good exploration of content and form uh, for somebody like me who is not really connected to the art or the media world this gives a very broad uh, exploration of what various people and various artists have thought and that is what is very good about this book that despite like a communist politician having written it it tries to uh, you know really engage with everything it even like there is this point where it's talking about how like you know uh, 
there is like this growing school of uh, artists in america who want to like be above ideology who want to like you know like critically look at everything but then also fall into ideology it's all very interesting um there are parts of this book which akshat would disagree with like i mean sure the book was written in i think the 50s or the 60s but uh, there is a part of it where it's literally like uh, he's going after michael bay i mean of course michael bay didn't exist but i'm going to read out these lines all right uh, uh, so he's he he talks a lot about like the neo positivists in america and how he is sympathetic to like he himself is a dialectical materialist but he's like yeah i get them what they are trying to do uh, and then he says something very interesting he says this taking art seriously splendid as it is has also led to some mistakes and excesses the way from art to man putting art on intimate terms with mankind is not the shortest distance between a party secretary's office and an organization i started to laugh at this yeah it is bound to be a long road not a short one leading through many and varied experiments by artists through the large scale generous education of the masses what is alarming in the capitalist world is not formalism not abstract paintings or poems not serial music or the anti novel so he is basically talking about you know people saying that oh it is like abstract art which is like the real anti communist art or what is like nah, nah, nah all of that is good because all of that is trying to engage with society even when it's trying to critique society it's engaging with society and that is good according to fisher that he says the real and terrible danger lies in the highly concrete down to earth quote unquote realistic if you will productions of idiotic films and comics commodities for the promotion of stupidity viciousness and crime anti communism is not abstract methods war is not prepared by subtle works of abstract art but by a very coarse diet in the soviet union also one finds boring plays boring books and boring bad movies side by side with excellent ones tastelessness side by side with art sticky sentimentality side by side with passionate truthfulness but not the corrupting evil filth of what the capitalists call pulp art this greatest difference cannot be valued too highly so he is opposed like that like in the whole book where he is like trying to be fair and balanced to everything that's like the one thing he hates all part uh, uh, before ending my comments on this book i would like to say that all of you should read it it's very educational because of the sheer scope of artists schools and how they engaged with society it captures it gives a very strong case of why socialists need to think about art how over the over, over centuries art has influenced and been influenced by society it is a very non dogmatic sort of book which tries to really grapple with why art is important it does not dismiss it it does not dismiss decadence it does not dismiss uh, old older schools it does it's it is a very uh, sort of optimistic look at how art should be with reality and it's also very far seeing like considering this book was written uh, quite a while back there is a part of it 
where he's talking about neo-positivism and he says that and he's criticizing it he's saying that you know uh, i'm going to read out a part of it and it's so interesting to me that uh, how connected all of these parts are with the questions we are talking about these days so he's saying that uh, he's talking about neo-positivism and he says that there are these movies made which represent uh, people as merely objects among objects a murder is no more than a sale of a watch a crime no more than the screech of a seagull an event no more than confusing dream of a witness he's basically talking about american behaviorists and then he says in several respect the method of the anti novel seems to be concerned with the rise of cybernetics the study of self regulating dynamic systems the existence of learning thinking self improving machines has given encouragement to behaviorism and neo positivism but the difference between human beings and these dialectical machines must now be formulated and the nature of man must be grasped anew dialectical materialism must be investigated expanded and made more precise because these machines while they frequently act as if they have consciousness they don't have consciousness leading cyberneticists therefore consider consciousness to be irrelevant or fictitious uh, whereby they only care about the behavior of systems this is all very interesting to me he is talking about machine learning and he is connecting it with neo positivism and he called machine learning dialectical machines and he is saying how like cybernetics and it is true that the cybernetics people of the 70s were only concerned with behaviors and they thought that if it you know walks like a duck quacks like a duck and like acts like a duck then it is a duck and we don't need to think about consciousness and i can understand why a marxist would be like extremely troubled by that surface level understanding of what material reality is so very good book connects a lot with various other things and uh, i have given akshat a lot to comment on so akshat please comment i've been ranting on about this book for a while so thank you anupam that was really helpful uh while i haven't read this book myself uh, you know i think i have attained a fair understanding of what it what, what it says and what it's all about uh and yes that uh, the comment about pulp fiction which you likened to current michael bay movies I did feel that somewhat contradicted his own points that he made in the first chapter which I have read about how representational art exists for the purpose of allowing the subject to recognize himself and recognize human life in a narrative form I think pulp fiction is a 20th century equivalent of all of the various forms of art that allowed humans to do that across the centuries and simply because it is conditioned and mediated by capitalism and uh, you know and in 21st century by neoliberal capitalism uh, doesn't mean it deserves to be thrown aside just like that without giving it any significant consideration i think michael bay is while he has yeah, yeah. Fault, I, he's not I, a i was partly I joking yeah. and also the like like i was partly joking and i think no i know the author was at that time when he when he was writing the book at that time he would have just been being acquainted with this new form of art and i can see why he would react to that as a marxist a very unorthodox 
you may say broad minded marxist but a marxist all the same and you see how you know like most of our comrades would react to that even the ones who are not like dogmatically wed to their understanding of soviet di- dialectical materialism or something so but thank you that was a great uh, summary of the book and i am looking forward to reading it uh, in at my leisure all right with that we will stop for the day we will pick up the discussion in the meeting and append a second episode of this podcast after the meeting is over we will also put up a document on the notice board where you can place all of your questions with that said i hope to see all of you at the meeting